Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Paris of Copper Beach Financial Group. Michael, how are you today? Oh, I'm good, Eric. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. John, how are you? I'm here. I'm doing great, Eric. Oh, man. How's the family? Everybody doing well? Yeah, we're, we're, we're healthy. We're right in the middle of, I'm telling you, uh, we're, we're taking advantage of the market, guys. We're selling our house. And yeah. we've, oh, we've been working on it for like six months. And it's just ridiculous. It's, there's always something else yeah. to do. Though, you know, all these things, all these other obligations that we have. And, and we like our friends and family and all that. But we're like, we really need to get this done. So we had the realtor over and we finally said, okay, let's give ourselves a deadline. And it's, it is steep. We said, okay, we'll be ready for pictures next Monday. So right at this point, recording this podcast, I have, what, five days left to get this place ready? Oh, so, boy. Yeah. 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 It's going to be busy. fun. Yeah, we're busy. We're busy, but good. And you have to talk to us for uh, 40 minutes. Oh, or no, so. no. I don't have to. I want to. I know I'm going to learn something. <laughs> good answer. Something. Yeah, good exactly. Answer. Please don't fire me. Yeah. No. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? Or what am I learning today? Let me ask you that. Well, we're going to learn uh, a little bit about estate taxes and more specifically how to pay for those estate taxes or some options on how to pay for those estate taxes. And that's something that we often see in working with a lot of the families that we have on our platform that they maybe don't necessarily think about if they have an estate tax, how those taxes might be paid. And there's a few different options that we, your listeners or our listeners, I should say, might want to consider or think about and talk with their advisors on. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. And also we've talked in the past in other podcasts that we take the position that the estate tax is a voluntary tax. Now, technically you have to pay it, but Uncle Sam gives you many different ways not to. So as strategists with our families, we always try to strategize and get that tax down to zero. We call it five levels of estate planning. Most people we come across do level one and level two. They don't go down to level five, which is zero tax planning. So we take mm. our families through that. But to Michael's point, if there is an estate tax that's due and, and proper planning wasn't, wasn't accomplished, um, we're going to walk through how that's paid for. And yeah. there's several options that we can look at. Some are good. Some are not so good. So mm-hmm. Michael will get into that today. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of this boils down to the planning overall. And we've had some families, and we'll get into this a little bit with the strategies, that have said, maybe I don't want to go through that five levels okay. of estate planning. And that's really a, a personal or a family decision because a lot of times to get to that fifth level of planning might require additional complexities that the family, for whatever reason, does not want to manage. Uh, it might involve a lot of different trusts. It might involve charitable planning and foundations and charitable trusts and some of the things that we've talked about on prior podcasts. And the family just might not want to go through all of that. And that's a viable solution. But you still have this question of, well, now you have an estate tax exposure to the next generation. So how do you as a family plan to pay for that? So again, that's what we're going to talk about today. Well, let me ask you a question before we get started, because I've heard a lot within the news. I've heard it on the radio. And we know because of how much money has been poured into the economy that Uncle Sam wants his money. He wants his money back. I've heard a lot about the IRS being very aggressive when it comes to 
taxes, meaning like income taxes. Do you see that on the horizon for, are they going to get more aggressive towards estate tax and making sure that people are paying their fair share kind of thing? I I would say, well, certainly, again, if you've listened to some prior podcasts going back to last year, there was a lot of conversation with some of the tax provisions and bills that Congress was floating around. There is a lot of support for making the estate tax have more of a bite for mm. to, to, to kind of echo your point there, Eric, and, and the, whether it's fair share or however you want to define it, but there are certainly lawmakers out there that want to make this a more serious tax. It is a tax right now that does not, if you look at today, affect the vast majority of people in mm-hmm. the United States, but um, that doesn't mean that they can't change it. And we'll get into a little bit on the exemption amount, which is the okay. threshold for when this tax does kick in. But yeah, I think last hundred years, there's maybe only been a couple years where there hasn't been an estate tax. So it's definitely something that is out there and probably will stay in one degree or another. Yeah. If you listen to the, you know, the conversations out there, they're kind of funny, but they, the one side of the equation, I won't say if it's a Republican or Democrats, are pitching the fact that they now want to tax billionaires, not millionaires. And you have to ask the question, well, why'd they change that dialogue? Because most of the senators and congressmen are now millionaires, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're pushing the billionaire tax. So you see some some trends in the political arena that's pushing now the, the burden tax to billionaires on the income tax side and obviously on the estate tax side. But as I said, the income tax side is a little bit harder to, to manage only because, remember, the tax code was put in place for business owners, not for W-2 employees. I, I have that conversation all the time with some of our clients. And it's always a challenge that if someone's making a million dollars a year, an executive of IBM, as an example, he's limited in how he could shelter some of those taxes. Obviously, he has 401k plans, but you're, you're capped at you know 25000 or 26000 now, and you're limited, so you pay a lot of tax. Now, there are some strategies on the charitable side that we take advantage of, but it's harder to manage the income tax. As you're a business owner, you made a million dollars, there's a lot of deductions you can take. So we're, we're always going back and forth between the 40% estate tax or the 35 to 40% income tax challenge, and that's really the, the world we live in. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, so let's get into a little bit of, let's start again with that threshold I talked about, the exemption amount for when this federal estate tax kicks in. And by the way, just as we're not going to cover this, I don't think as much today, but depending on where you live, there are certain states that have their own estate tax or inheritance tax. So you should be aware of what that is. There's really Massachusetts handful of states. One, right? yeah, Massachusetts. Um, we live in New Jersey for a long time. We had a state estate tax. We don't anymore. Uh, probably about 10 years ago, that was eliminated. So just be aware of that because you might not be at the federal level of where this federal tax kicks in, but you might have a state tax or inheritance tax that you should be aware of. But we're going to talk about the federal tax today. And when we're as we're recording this, the exemption amount is really right around $12 million per person. And spouses, if you're married, you can essentially use each of your exemptions to combine them together. So really, we, we're going to use the term 24 million roughly of exemption amount or of net worth that if you pass that on to your heirs, usually descendants, that is the threshold for when the estate tax kicks in. And if you're above that amount and you pass on assets to your heirs, there is a 40% tax on any excess above that $24 million. So again, this is not a tax that affects 
the average American, but for a lot of the families that we work with, probably a lot of families that are listening to this podcast, that might be more of an issue or and of a concern. Maybe not today, but in the future, which gets back to a lot of the, the planning that we do and that you should be working with your advisors on is because you might not have that tax today, but if you factor in certain growth and assumptions, you might have that in, in the future to be concerned about. So that's the threshold uh, today. Now, about in 2026, so in a few years from now, that exemption amount is going to be cut in half per person. So it's going to drop down to about $6 million, uh, per person plus inflation. So in quite a few years, just a few years from now, there are very likely going to be more people subjected to that estate tax than currently exist today. So that's another uh, thing that you should be aware of when looking at your planning. And the theme we're addressing now with with uh, all our clients and people we uh, discuss this issue with is that it's like you, you use it or you lose it. So just to be more specific, you, you have $24 million right now that you can gift to your heirs without paying a state tax. 12 million of that is going to go away in 2026. So after 2026, you're only going to have 12 million that you can gift to heirs before the estate tax kicks in. So this use it or lose it type situation is really for the 12 million that will go away under current law in 2026. So hopefully that maybe gives a little bit of clarity if that was confusing to anybody. That's yeah, a little confusing. But you have essentially next couple of years, you have $12 million that is is projected to be lost from a gifting standpoint. So it's, it's important that families out there consider that if, again, if this is something that is applicable to you, this federal estate tax, that you look at that now and you talk to your advisors about how to best use that going forward before it's lost. Now, let's start discussing that let's assume for a moment you have this tax and you suddenly accidentally passed away and the taxes due to the next generation. How do you pay for those taxes? So, Michael, why don't we go through some of the IRS rules around how that could be funded? And let's talk about that. And then we can talk about some other options. Yep. So generally speaking, the taxes due within nine months of the death of uh, the person who passed away. And... The IRS and Congress put it in place that they really only accept cash. So you have to have cash. They, they accept that tax in cash. They don't accept it in illiquid real estate or land or business assets. They, they need cash, which gets back to the question we're going to talk about today, which is how is that tax paid for? So if you don't have that amount in cash, do you liquidate assets to pay for that tax? That's the worst case scenario. We, we've unfortunately um, seen certain estates and have heard stories of certain estates that haven't had enough liquidity and they have been forced to liquidate assets within nine months to be able to pay for that tax. And depending on that asset, it could be a fire sale, right? If you only have nine months to sell uh, a, a piece of real estate, maybe in today's market, that would be easier to do just with where we are real estate wise. But it might not always be the easiest thing to sell a piece of real estate in nine months and get the value that it, that you would otherwise get. So you'd have to then be forced to lower the price, sales price to get that liquidity and that results in lost assets going to the next generation. So that's when we say how to pay for the tax, that's usually option one, which is usually the worst case scenario. But let, me, let me jump in there real quick because sure. is there a prov provision, I guess, or a any type of exemption 
for farmland because I've heard horror stories. Uh, There's actually one out of Denver where a family had, I believe, 600 acres. It was very, very close to Denver. And when the other parent, I guess it was the second to die, Mm-hmm. passed away, there was a huge estate tax due because of the property. And they had to either sell a large chunk of their family farm to pay an estate tax. So they lose their, you know, their farm, right? I mean, they lose a lot of their farm yep. or there was something where they, I couldn't remember, there was some sort of deal that they had to, to sign where they could never sell the property for development. And so again, they're losing out. Have you heard something like that? Is there, are there loopholes, quote unquote, that people can use in that system? Yeah. So, and that gets to the, the second option, which is really was put in the law really to address the issue you brought up, Eric, which is section 6166 of the tax code. And it really applies to business owners and, and families that own closely held business stock. Mm-hmm. And that can include a farm that could be a manufacturing business. It doesn't really matter the type of business. But if you own a closely held business, there is an exemption that Congress put in place to allow you the flexibility to not have to liquidate that business in order to pay the tax. And that is what 6166 was put in law to to cover. And that's a very complicated section. That's really the details of that are beyond the scope of of today's conversation. In fact, that'd probably be a good podcast just to dig in specifically on all the nuances there. But again, it only applies if you own a closely held business and your business has to be more than 35% of your net worth in order to qualify. Mm -hmm. So if it's less than 35%, 35%, you can't use this section. But what that this section will allow you to do is to defer the payment of estate taxes up to 14 years, typically. So that is a provision that Congress put in place, again, to mitigate that scenario that you just outlined, Eric, where the family was forced to sell uh, their farm, maybe to pay the taxes. And again, I don't know the particulars maybe of that particular family, maybe 6166 did not apply for one reason or another, or maybe they were not aware of it. Um, but that is a provision that's in place to really help that. Yeah. And, and how it works, Michael, you get into the interest rate mm-hmm. that the IRS assumes yep. and the liens against the company. Why don't you discuss that a little bit? Yeah. When, when we look at planning, a lot of times 6166 gets brought up in conversations and, and, from our experience, it's usually a last resort way to help pay for estate taxes so you don't have to do that fire sale or you don't have to liquidate uh, business or, or other personal assets because there are some, some drawbacks to this. There's an interest rate that's assumed, so you do have to pay interest on the tax that is deferred. So really, if you think about that, you're paying the tax that you otherwise owe plus interest, so you end up really paying more in taxes over that 14-year period of time. And there are some other uh, provisions under this section 6166 that can be a, a negative to the estate and to the family. I, there could be a, a tax lien on the estate. There are certain provisions that may require that the estate buy a surety bond, which is really, in essence, an insurance policy to make sure that that tax is paid over time. It's very onerous and it's very costly, really, for an estate to really elect 6166, which is why when we outline this provision to a lot of our families, when we're going through this discussion about how to pay this estate tax, pretty much nine times out of 10, the family does not want to rely on that 
as a solution to help pay their tax because of a lot of these these onerous provisions that go into it. I mean, think about a family business that maybe has the next generation taking over the business. They certainly don't want to have this tax lien and some of these surety bonds sort of over their heads, uh, preventing them from maybe doing or managing the business the way that they would otherwise want to manage. And don't miss a payment. Right. Yeah. So that is, but that is an option, right? I think it's better than the first option, which is you have to sell the business assets in, in order to pay the tax. So it certainly has its benefits for, again, for those families that maybe didn't do planning during their lifetime. And now the next generation is left with having to do something in order to pay that tax. Um, Dad, why don't you outline maybe our approach, which is maybe doing more of the advanced planning up front to how to reduce that tax as best you can as a way. And that's what gets back to the complexity of what the family wants to really do. But maybe outline, you outlined it before, but I would maybe just detail a little bit if you don't mind. Yeah, it's, it, it involves um, four or five different steps in planning. And obviously we've talked in the past about setting up certain trusts. Like for example, we what we typically do with a larger estate to try to reduce the tax going forward is do a sale to a trust of an asset. So let's assume, Eric, you own a business that you want to get into a trust. You can get that business valued, but the way it's valued is Uncle Sam allows you to get a discount if you do a recap of the stock. And we'll get into the weeds, but basically you convert voting shares to non-voting shares, 99% non-voting shares, 1% voting share, you wanna maintain control, and you sell the non-voting shares to a trust. That kind of freezes the value of the estate. So going forward, if it's owned in a trust, it's never gonna be taxed again as long as it stays in that trust. So there's some techniques we use from estate planning trust designs. There's also some charitable planning we look at. And again, you go back to our previous podcast, a lot of those topics are well covered in detail. One asset class that people misunderstand sometimes is life insurance. Again, Michael mentioned complexity before that some families just don't want to go through all those jumps and hoops to, to get their tax down to zero. I've had families in the past say to me, you know what, John, if I owe five, $10 million in taxes, why don't we just buy a life insurance policy and leverage that tax when it's due and let, and, and, and use a trust to, to own that policy. And that's a very viable way to look at it. However, you're still paying the tax, Eric. You're still, you're still paying the tax and it's just leverage. Mm-hmm. So, so life insurance, we find to be a key asset class that allows you to leverage that tax if there's no other option you have, you don't want to consider another option, or you don't want to be that complex. So a lot of our clients look at a combination of all the things I just discussed as a plan to eliminate that tax or pay for that tax going forward. Yeah, I think that's really important is to look at all, all of these options. Very often, for a lot of families, there's you're doing what you can with trying to reduce the estate and lower the tax as best you can up front. And then you might look at maybe buying life insurance to, to fund the difference. If you don't want to do those zero tax planning, like incorporate charities into the conversation, that just might not be an objective of the family. That's when you start looking at life insurance. That's when you might start looking at, okay, if we don't want to buy as much life insurance, maybe we'll do a partial 6166 election, which you can do. You don't have to elect 6166 on the for the maximum amount that you're allowed to defer. So there's a lot of different ways that you can design this. But I think, again, the purpose of today's podcast was really, hopefully, if you're out there 
and you might have this exposure just to start thinking about how that's going to be paid because again uh, you know hopefully this you, everybody lives to 100 and you don't have to worry about this for a, a very long period of time but as we all know that's not how life works sometimes so sometimes you, you want to make sure that you're planning for this eventuality now and, and make sure that it's set in stone or at least you have some strategy that your family can use to help develop a plan about how this tax is going to be paid. And Michael earlier said something that, that I think is extremely important. When we first meet any family, we spend a lot of time doing an audit and going through their values in their estate and do projections. Those projections often surprise the heck out of our families because they're not thinking 20, 30 years from now. Because if you think of an average lifespan, I think it's 83 now. I, I don't know what the exact number is. I think COVID twisted that a little bit. But let's say it's 80 for, for a number. So the average person is going to live to age 80. So if you're 40 years old, that's 40 years of compounding growth of an asset that you own. So you could have a large estate problem when you're supposed to pass away at age 80. The odds you pass away at age 40 are, minim are minimal. But you have to plan for the future. So when we crunch our numbers, people might not have a tax today, but they have it you know, 40 years from now. How do you circumvent that? How do you do planning to, to prevent that? And that's where these trusts get involved, and that's where we take a look at leveraging things accordingly to get that tax down to zero. So it's critical that anybody's listening to this podcast, if, if you don't have that number, on a projection, you should go back to your advisors and say, listen, project out my estate and let me know what that's going to look like when I'm supposed to pass away, me and my wife. And it's the rule of 72. I think we talked about that before, Eric. Mm -hmm. You just take the number 72, divide it by a growth rate. You're assuming your estate's going to grow at, let's say, 10%. You divide 10 by 72, and every 7.2 years, your asset base will double in value. So you're worth a million dollars today. 7.2 years, you're going to be worth two. Seven point years that you are worth four and and so on and so forth. So when you look at the natural compounding of assets, even at reasonable interest rates, you can have a large estate somewhere down the road unless you unless you pay attention to it. Yeah, and that's why you just mentioned it, uh, Dad. Starting earlier is better. So these projections can be helpful because we've really been involved in a lot of conversations, whether it's with a client or attorney or other advisor, and they've said we don't have an estate tax issue today. So there's really no need to really have these conversations, but they are not, again, looking necessarily into the future and maybe some of the proactive steps that they could take now to help mitigate that tax in the future. Because if we use those reasonable growth rates that you just mentioned, there will be one. Again, we can't predict where tax laws are going to go. I mean, Congress can get rid of the estate tax tomorrow. I think that's probably an unlikely event. But there's a whole host of things that could happen, but we try to be as proactive and design things as flexibly to, just to take advantage of that. Yeah, one of the things we didn't talk earlier about annual gift exclusions. We, we forgot to mention that. You can gift each mom and dad. Parents can gift each one of their kids, nieces, nephews, friends, neighbors. We often tell a client they gift us as well. But anyway, <laughs> you can gift up to 15000 Is it 15000 or mm -hmm. 15000 15, still? Yeah. I thought they were going to up it this year. But 15000 per child. So if you have you know two children, both uh, you and your wife can give 30000 apiece to those children, and they could gift to a trust that's going to be out of their taxable estate. But often when you look at the growth of assets, even though you're gifting 60000 a year, you might be wealthy enough where your assets are growing more than that. So it's, it's kind of a wash, but you still have that option to make those annual gifts. Um, I got four grandkids, and we're doing that. 
now with with our planning we're going to give directly to the grandkids and and that's part of the equation Oh, excuse me. I just wanted to clarify. It is sixteen thousand this year. Twenty. I thought. I thought. I thought, yeah. I thought it was sixteen thousand. Yeah, sixteen thousand per person. Yep. Per year. Yep. Good. So, anyway, so that these are some of the ideas and challenges that a lot of our families uh, need to address, and quite often we see p- families wait too long. And I, I, I know we've said that in the past on podcasts. It's not too early to get planning done. I mean, we're starting to work with some younger families in their 30s and 40s, because if, if they do it right now, we could save them millions of dollars in taxes for their kids. But at least they're smart enough to take advantage of doing things early, but it's hard to get young people to do anything early. Right, Eric? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a cha- it's a challenge, especially younger entrepreneurs. They're like cowboys. They can't pay attention to it. They want to grow, and they don't take time out to, to do some planning. But fortunately, we work with some younger families that, that have adopted that philosophy and, and do some advanced planning. Yeah, it's great to see. I'm going to talk about one other option that's really developed over the last probably 10 years or so. And there was a court case around 10 years ago that came out that really made this strategy sort of blessed by at least um, the courts. And that's, uh, it's called the estate of Gregan is the case, and now it's commonly termed as a Gregan loan. And what that is really, again, for, from the standpoint of trying to pay for estate taxes is uh, on your estate tax return, you are allowed to deduct certain administrative expenses from your gross estate off of that number. So you can deduct things like legal fees and and some other expenses that will help reduce your estate when they calculate that tax. What this Gregan loan is a situation where an estate maybe is illiquid, so doesn't have a lot of liquidity to pay for that tax. And what, what happened in this case was the estate went out and borrowed money from a bank. They had illiquid business assets and they didn't want to liquidate. So similar to a 6166 conversation, they didn't want to really liquidate their business, but they went out and they borrowed money from a bank and they were able to deduct the full interest payments over that that loan period of time. So let's say it's a 15-year loan, and there would be certain interest rates and certain interest that would have to be paid over that 15-year period of time, and they structured that loan in a very particular way to make sure that that interest obligation was definite, essentially. And what the taxpayer was allowed to do in that case was actually deduct off of their estate tax return the full amount of the interest that would be paid over that 15 years all in the first year. So think of it like an accelerated depreciation in effect (laughs) against their estate. And that has the effect of reducing the estate by that interest obligation, which helps lower the tax. Now you're still borrowing money. In that case, they borrowed, I believe they borrowed it from a third party bank. So, you know, you still have to pay that loan back. But where I think there could be some creativity with that type of loan is pairing that with something like a life insurance policy owned in an islet. It it stands for Irrevocable Life Insurance Trust, by the way. So many of you have probably heard of that acronym. Islet is the term that's used. So the islet can purchase a life insurance policy. And the estate, when the taxpayers pass away, can borrow funds from that, the death benefit proceeds from that life insurance policy to satisfy this Gregan loan interest deduction as long as that loan is structured properly and again that's probably beyond the scope of today's conversation but there are very specific terms that you have to have in that loan that there can't be uh, any prepayments of that loan allowed because if you think about it conceptually that makes sense is if you are telling the irs you're going to deduct the full interest over that loan they don't want you to be able to re 
prepay the loan in year three, right? Mm -hmm. And not pay the full interest. So there's all these little nuances that again, having a qualified attorney and an advisor team to make sure that they know how to structure that is really important. But that's another way that particularly illiquid estates are trying to find ways to pay for estate taxes without having to resort to that first option we talked about, which is liquidating illiquid assets at a fire sale. So there's a a lot of creativity that's being developed um, to be able to help with this. And again, you can use a lot of these different strategies together. So you might want to use a Gregan loan for part of it, but also have uh, advanced estate planning to reduce the tax down as best you can, pairing that with life insurance. So you're using a little bit of all of these strategies to find a plan that fits best for the family. And that's really what's most important. Yeah, I had a client years ago, Eric, that had, I think it was a $15 million estate tax bill upon his passing. Mm. Wow. He was also very charitably inclined. So he said to me one day, he says, all right, so this zero tax plan that you're talking to me about, John, I could give my $15 million or $30 million, I think it was a $30 million estate to charity, right? I said, yeah, you can. And that'll give me like no tax, right? I said, right. So if I bought a life insurance policy in that islet you're talking about, I could refund that back to my children, correct? Tax-free, correct? I said, yes. Mm. So Uncle Sam lost, charity won, mm-hmm. and my kids got my full estate. That's how simple you can get. That was one gentleman who had who thought it through, and I don't want the complexity. I just want to just make sure I take care of my charities, and my kids get what I gave the charity, and I kind of call Sam out. <laughs> so you could get real specific, but that's how simple it is sometimes. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Powerful. Yeah. yeah, good stuff. I think that's all we had today, Eric. I think you can, to Michael's point, we can dig into any one of these topics deeply and get very specific. But I hope, hope I gave our audience a, a view on, on if you have a tax to be paid, you have to you have to think carefully how you approach that. Yep. I think it's just, you know, it sounds cliche, but knowledge is power. And I think knowledge of this situation is helpful for any family just to understand it. And whatever solution the family decides is, of course, up to them. But I think it's always important to go into this without any surprises. And that's that's planning, is at least knowing what options you have and what the ramifications of any decisions you make might be. And start now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't wait to do that, do that projection. Well, and, and that's that's the point, is that yeah. the nice thing is that you can't do the planning when you're dead. You can't do the planning then. Exactly. You, you need to do it as soon as possible. And life gets busy. We, we all understand that. But we don't want people avoiding this, right? I mean, avoiding it because they think it's going to be complex, like you said earlier. It doesn't have to be, it sounds like. And, and to Michael's point, no. Michael, you said you need to really find you know a qualified attorney and financial team. I happen to know a, a qualified attorney and financial team. <laughs> I'm talking to him right now. <laughs> so for those that are listening and saying, okay, th- this is something, it, it, it may be kind of like pulling some teeth or whatever, but I do need, need to get my spouse and we need to sit down and have this conversation so we can protect our estate for our children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, so on and so forth. What's the best way to, to hook up with you guys, to, you know, to contact you and, and get this information or talk through their specific situation? Well, you can always call us on, on the phone, area code 856-988-8300. We're, of course, on social media. We're on LinkedIn. You can find Copper Beach's page, my, my page, my father's page. You can always message us on there. You can also reach our website. It's www.cbfgllc.com. And uh, 
I guess you could always write us a letter too, but that might, I don't know if that's really used a lot these days. I don't know if we need to give you our address. It's on our website. Go to our website first and then find our address and then you could send us a letter if you want. Lots of ways to contact you. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. All right. Thanks, Thank you, Eric. You bet. But our last thank you always goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. And for those that are thinking, you know what, I want to do some planning. We need to maybe have this conversation. Maybe you have a a spouse that would want to drag their feet a little bit. Share this podcast with them. Have them listen to it and have them listen to the intentions of these two guys and, and what they do with their families. It's fantastic. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC Registered Investment Advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc. and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy.